I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Baselayer is sponsored by Diginex and by its digital asset exchange, Equas. As an exchange, Equas is focused on delivering innovative product compliance, fairness, and most importantly, trust. In a time when institutional investors are beginning to seriously review digital assets for their portfolio, these are key elements necessary to build bridges to new investors. Equas currently provides digital asset spot trading and perpetual futures, and plans to soon offer dated futures and options. Parent company Diginex also provides capital markets advisory, asset management, and custody. To check them out, you can go to diginex.com and equos.io. That is E-Q-U-O-S.io. This is David. This is your new episode of Baselayer, and you're going to learn a lot on this one. I have JP Barrick with me today. He is the Chief Executive Officer at Orem Capital Ventures. JP, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be good because this will have a very, very intellectually stimulating conversation. And for those that are learning about this world, they may have heard about Bitcoin now. They may have read things like the Paul Tudor Jones letter. They may have realized that you know big firms like Fidelity are involved in this. But the infrastructure is the part that a lot of them don't understand, the nuances and the pieces and the cogs that go into making all of this work. And so Orem, as you guys write on your website, Orem is like the AWS for digital currencies. Um, and so let's talk about that. What we're going to do before we go too far into that is how did you get into this world? You know, lead us up to the point where you got into this world and as you became a founder. Yeah. So I came into this space when I was a board freshman in high school um, in 2012, 2013. Around that time, I read about Bitcoin and TechCrunch and thought, wow, this is amazing and it's going to change the world. And I want to start learning more about it. So from there, I started researching, you know, what is blockchain? What is the Byzantine general's problem? You know, how is Bitcoin going to be successful? What is what is Bitcoin mining? And started dipping my toes in the water, got my first mining rig and started running it in my house and was mining some Litecoin back in the day. And then basically just started educating myself, putting as, as much capital as I could at the time into, into Bitcoin and into Bitcoin miners. Um, and then as that kind of progressed in 2016, we ended up building out our first mining facility. And then from there, we've scaled to multiple facilities and have done multiple projects um, underneath the Orm and Mining Store brand to help institutional investors and uh, retail investors get into Bitcoin mining. A little bit about my background and um, how I got into this space. It's been a long journey. I met a bunch of great people in this space and been able to to help and educate and kind of move forward the discussion on really what is Bitcoin mining and why is hash rate important? So for those that don't, and again, I know a lot of people who listen to my show are very well versed on this. There's a lot of experienced investors in the world, but a lot of them who are listening to my show are not. And so as we're trying to grow this sandbox and digital assets and 
crypto. We really want to be able to have people understand the nuances here. So for those that know this, you know, you know, obviously this is just a rehash of everything happening. But for those that don't understand, what is hash rate? Can you explain it to them? Sure. So hash rate is the speed at which a Bitcoin miner runs. And a Bitcoin miner is a physical computer that you plug into the wall, um, just like a server in a data center, and they're running 24-7, accumulating Bitcoins at a discount. And hash rate is the speed, as I mentioned, the speed at which those miners are running, and basically how um, fast they are compared to all the other miners on the, the blockchain. And each terahash, or each little bit of hash rate, gets paid the same, about the same amount from the Bitcoin network on a daily basis. And so for those that are trying to understand, so this is, you know, there's physical machines involved with this, right? There's ant miners, there's all sorts of, you know, physical machines that are involved with this. And so explain to them, you know, a, a miner, say an ant miner, you know, from two years ago versus one today, what is a differential? How are things speeding up and how are things in terms of the, the hardware of Bitcoin, if you will, how is that changing? Great question. So when I got into the space back in, in, in 2013, ASICs were just coming out. And so when we started, when they started off, they were 112 nanometers um, on the chip. And that's basically the space between uh, the different gates on these, these semiconductor chips. And over time, we've been able to drop that from 110, 112, all the way down to where most of the mining machines are now at seven nanometers. So um, back in 2015, 2016, um, in 2017, when the Antminer S3, the S7, the S9 were coming out, um, it was very, they were, they were deploying and scaling very rapidly. They were innovating at a, a, a basically, you know, neck breaking paces because this was a brand new industry. Um, the chip fabrication facilities, which are the hardest or the most capital intensive part of the business, were already built out for other use cases like 5G infrastructure or cell phones. So really, we were building um, these the logic gates for the first time. These miners um, had to get the heat out of it, and they were trying to figure out how do you cool these chips, how do you solve some of these these problems. Um, now, where the industry is, um, the the latest version of a miner is the S19 Pro, and those run at 110 terahashes per machine. The S9, which came out in 2016, ran at 13.5 terahashes. So in the past four years, we've seen almost a tenfold increase in hash rate and then about a 3x in efficiency. So each machine had something called um, joules per terahash, and that's how much joules of energy it costs to create one terahash of um, hash rate or hashing power. And so right now those new machines sit right around 30 to 34 terahashes or joules per terahash, and the S9 sat at 100 joules per terahash. So we've seen some significant improvements in the hardware but as we kind of move into this next cycle of Bitcoin mining and the next generation of machines, we're actually running into some of the same problems that the chip manufacturers have on your 5G um, devices or your phones, where we're running into physical constraints at the factory level. So now the lifespan of those machines, we expect uh, most F19 Pros to run for at least 48 months, if not longer, and to continue to be you know, profitable because they are three times more efficient than the S9, which was the the biggest machine ever deployed right. in the ASIC space. Because it was a very capital intensive process, and it, you know, for the last few years, because every year, and correct me if I'm wrong, every year there would be a new miner and it would be more efficient, it would be faster, et cetera, et cetera. So every year 
you basically had to throw out your your you know or you had to try to sell them somehow on a, on a market and get rid of your old miners and replace them with a bunch of new ones and so you're saying that that capital intensiveness is kind of slowed down because of physical constraints that's correct so on the chip level we've now hit up you know, hit that barrier that everyone else in the in the semiconductor industry faces. So, you know, machines are now lost lasting longer, um, four or five years, and they're they're not innovating as fast. Um, so that's exactly right. The hardware it still costs a lot of capital, takes us a lot of capital to get into this space. Um, but with with the with the introduction of these newer, more efficient machines, um, you know, they're going to run longer. And the, like I said, the upgrade cycle has kind of come down from that one year, two years, which it was back in 2015 to four years now where we are in 2020. So talk about kind of demographics. So for those that are unfamiliar, a large majority of Bitcoin mining happens in larger pools called meme pools. And a lot of those, geographically speaking, have been in the Asia Pacific Rim. Um, A lot of them have been specifically in China. But over the course of the last year or two, there have been several efforts here in the United States uh, as energy costs have come down in certain parts. Uh, you've seen big investors like Peter Thiel invest in you know, operations down in Texas. I, I believe you have things in the middle of the country as well, too. Talk to us about the kind of the geographic locations of a lot of the mining that is happening in Bitcoin. So you hit it right on the head. In in China, there's still about I would say 50% to 60% of miners running there um, due to the very cheap hydro. But the U.S. is is pulling ahead in the sense that we do have a large amount of energy um, production being put in place, not only in Texas but all over the United States. Um, so we're seeing the energy prices across the U.S. continue to drop, and we're actually getting lower prices than um, you can get in China now. Um, at scale in the U.S. So there's a lot of companies that are looking to diversify um, their mining outside of China um, just because of the nature of the in- environment there and looking at a more stable place like the U.S. and the energy infrastructure we have here. In the U.S. specifically, um, we look for stranded wind energy for most of our facilities. So you'll be looking at Oklahoma, uh, Texas. We have a facility in Iowa. Um, upstate New York has a lot of hydro and solar. And then um, Washington, Oregon area and the United States. Um, and then kind of worldwide, you'll see a lot of people in Iceland. We've now seen that Iran is starting to deploy a lot of Bitcoin miners and starting to um, set up regulations and kind of rules for Bitcoin miners there with their cheap electricity. We see a lot of miners in Argentina and Venezuela, where there's a lot of um, cheap hydro and the currency, um, just the way it's priced there makes it really advantageous. Um, well, then Canada, wait a second, JP, wait a second. Bitcoin is supposed to be dirty. Bitcoin is supposed to hurt the environment. You're telling me about hydro and wind and solar. What, what's going on? I say yeah, that with so, a smile on my face. Of course, of course. And that is the story that you know has been pushed in the media for so long. And we're, we're, I'm excited to talk about it because really Bitcoin mining is this unique um, asset, like this unique generation of, I guess, a unique yield mix. What I mean by that is that Bitcoin miners are the only devices are the only type of power usage that can turn off thousands of computers or tons of lots and lots of megawatts of power instantly. So what that allows us to do is it actually allows us to work with the grid. So when we're working with Bitcoin, um, when we're working with power producers, we come to them and we say, we'd like to buy your power at a flat rate above what the wholesale market is going to pay you for 
23 hours a day for 24 hours a day. You can sell as much power as you want, but the moment you want to sell that power back to the grid, we will turn it off. We'll turn off our machines because it's worth more money to you to capture that increase in power price on the grid than it is to us to mine Bitcoin. And this only happens maybe for 1% if that of the time of the year, but the Bitcoin miners are the ones who can take advantage of these split second um, you know, opportunities where power prices will begin to spike because of an imbalance in consumption and production. And so as more and more green energy gets deployed, there becomes this these stranded assets, stranded wind, stranded solar that has really nowhere to go. And it's usually selling into the market at pennies on the dollar. And the only time you know, they're making a lot of money is during those peak hours. So we provide them with that flat, guaranteed cost per megawatt hour consumed 24 seven. But then whenever they need it back, we give them back their power, which in turn um, prevents peaker plants and natural gas plants and coal plants from turning on because no longer do they need to generate an additional 20 or 100 megawatts of power on the grid, now they can just tell a Bitcoin miner who's using clean energy to turn off. And that's that's huge for the whole energy industry and really is changing how a lot of these energy companies are approaching um, selling their power, going from let me sell it to the grid to how do I create on-site generation and or how do I create on-site consumption with my generation and sell directly to a Bitcoin network. I wish more people were talking about this because I know from the family office world, there's trillions of dollars out there that are, you know, have been actively deployed into sustainability, into ESG thematics. So you have large institutions like BlackRock out there that have created, you know, new funds to focus on it. Everyone has been doing this over the last few years. And, you know, of course, as you have rightly said, there has been this narrative that has been put out there that Bitcoin is dirty for the environment. And, Thank you for saying it that way, because as you can see, it is a it is a kilowatt per hour game. And so if you can get sub four kilowatt per hour energy, that is going to be it's it's people need to understand that this is not very dissimilar to to oil mining. You know, if you have access you know, to cheap labor, if you have access to wells, if you can lower your capital you know, expenditures, all of that then winds up being profit. And that's the same type of thing with this too. You know, Bitcoin miners are going to seek out the cheapest energy possible. And in today's time, that is typically going to be renewable energy. You're exactly right. And that's why, you know, with Bitcoin mining, with um, the latest generation hardware, we're able to get, we're able to sell that power. We're buying for 10 to $20 a megawatt hour, depending on the location, to the Bitcoin network for 70 Meg dollars a megawatt hour up to $200 a megawatt hour, depending on the price of Bitcoin, the hash rate and the global hash rate and the difficulty that right there, that value creation is insane. And considering all you're doing is consuming electricity and plugging in machines, it's a very scalable model. And it's one that I think the energy companies are going to start eating up and have begun to start looking into over the past couple of months. Love it. So let's talk uh, lastly about some of the things you're doing you have high yield staking vehicles, you have secured debt investments, and then you have joint partnerships, joint venture partnerships. So it seems that you are um, mixing in the world of you know debt financing and insured yield products with obviously with everything that's happening within digital assets. What's going on there? So when we when we looked at the Bitcoin mining space and over the years building in it, we've seen that the traditional finance industry, you know, they don't they don't touch it. They won't even it's very it's even hard to get insurance for your Bitcoin miners. So currently, Bitcoin miners require 100 percent 
um, of the payment upfront and usually waiting six months for new hardware. So that's all finance with cash. Um, there's not, like I said, there's no, there's no financial industry backing this space simply because it touches Bitcoin. And that's enough for them to say, look, we're not comfortable. We don't understand the value of hash rate. We don't understand the long term, you know, what's the long term value of this asset and how do we view this? So what we, 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 what we decided and what we do at ORM is we're, our goal is to reduce the friction in the sale of hash rate and Bitcoin miners and then also provide more security to investors and work on basically flattening that yield curve out. That's what those, those high yield uh, secured investment type of products um, that we're working on aim to do. And so there, there's two kind of things there, as I mentioned, one is how do you fundraise um, and use capital to create, to buy the Bitcoin miners and to then start generating interest on that capital. And we have a couple of different products where we're lending off of your Bitcoin, we're lending off of your crypto holdings, and we're providing you interest similar to how you would with lending, but instead of with lend, instead of lending, it's, it's Bitcoin mining and you're, you're collateralizing those assets to run these Bitcoins, which these Bitcoin miners, which are generating interest um, on that collateral. That's one of the, the vehicles that we have. And then the other type of vehicle that we were putting together, we have um, that we launched actually last month is called our managed mining program. And that's where Orm Capital Ventures takes on the responsibility of deploying the hash rate, pushing down the cost of energy, bringing value to the investor, um, running that hash rate. So making sure that these machines are running 24 seven in an environment that um, is going to be able to keep them cool, keep them operational. And then also the sale of that hash rate and the sale of those machines after, um, you know, while, the, while they're running. We view hash rate as the, as a, as a vehicle to constantly be um, buying and selling and be really spec speculating on the value of, of hash rate and where the hash rate is going to go long term. So for us, it's about building up reserves of hash rate in times like today where people are talking about Bitcoin, but it's not on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It's not all over the news. And so we build up hash rate, um, a collection of hash rate and a collection of mining machines that are all mining under management with the goal of um, liquidating those machines when uh, Bitcoin prices begin to spike simply because there's not enough actual capacity to buy new miners at the time. So we run into something called the supply gap where you're basically don't have machines available. And so the price of those machines begins to skyrocket. And we see that um, really it's you know very similar to Bitcoin. No one really knows where the true value of this machine lies simply because the Bitcoin price is increasing, which is increasing the amount of dollars you're making per machine. And then the machines are all priced on the amount of Bitcoins you can mine. And so as we begin to increase in price, we simply do not have enough chips and semiconductor parts. And it just takes a lot more time to deploy Bitcoin miners than it does to um, speculate on the price, which leads to that kind of price discrepancy. Right. So I, I know that some people, this is a question I always get. And obviously this is something that we don't do. We don't talk about Bitcoin price. Um, and we don't speculate on Bitcoin price. We don't do that. You know, other people out there who will rename nameless will will do that game. But we do have a sense that you know, based off the latest miner, how much is one you know one rig of the latest miner? How much does that cost right now in USD? So one miner is about twenty seven hundred dollars delivered and landed in the United States right now, mm -hmm. and that's going to get you around ninety five. Terahashes. So right now you'll be paying twenty-seven to twenty-nine dollars per terahash, right. depending on getting it now or if you want it in the future. Right. So we know that that's one of the, and I say sunk costs. You need to have those, and then you have to pay for energy. 
Um, and you know, it's not just you don't plug in one of these machines and magically you're mining a Bitcoin. You have to be able to solve cryptographic puzzles to basically validate the transaction fastest and to be able to get a piece of that Bitcoin. Um, so I want people to understand that with energy and with the cost of the machines and the equipment, there is some way to extrapolate a kind of sunk cost, a, a floor, if you will, based off of just the raw materials and the energy that's needed here. Would you agree with that? I, I would uh, agree with that. And I would agree that, that, that with all the historic data, you can really see what that sunk cost has been over time and how quickly um, that hash rate is going to depreciate or appreciate and depending on the time in the market and kind right. of prefer in a bull or bear cycle. So for those that are always asking, you know, well, what's the actual, you know, value or what's the intrinsic value of Bitcoin? You know, we, you know, kind of digress on that. But at the same time, you do have the w- a way to extrapolate some things to get some sense of profit and loss for those that are mining the Bitcoin out there. Um, you know, one of the last things that I'd love to get you kind of opining about is, you know, in terms of the, you know, the future, we just had the halvening over a few months ago. Um, and obviously by, I think it's about 2140, the last Bitcoin will be mined. Do you think, you know, from talking to investors and talking to other people out there, if someone wanted to potentially get into mining or they wanted to start mining Bitcoin themselves, here's one thing that always happens. Everyone always asks me, you know, is there a way to actually buy a, 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 a mined Bitcoin directly from someone here in the United States? Um, they always think that, you know, if you're buying Bitcoin off of one of the exchanges that it could have been involved in dirty, you know, malfeasant type of actions, they want to have kind of, dare I call it, snowflake type of Bitcoin. Um, you know, one, is there a way for people to contact, you know, folks like you and acquire Bitcoin directly from you? Or two, is there a way for people to participate in some manner so they can be part of this mining uh, kind of industry? Great, great question there. And we'll quickly talk about the, the Bitcoin, kind of the virgin Bitcoin. So there's definitely um, a small market for newly minted Bitcoins. It doesn't really trade at much of a premium, um, maybe one or 2% above the spot price. So we haven't seen that as been like a, a huge you know, advantage to getting newly mined coins. But on to how you know, just do individuals participate? We have uh, two programs. One is called our Board Basic Program, and then the other one is a Managed Mining Program. So the Board Basic Program is for investors or for really for retail customers who are looking to dip their toes in the water and are looking at um, you know, spending around $1,400 to, to, to get in the game and kind of just understand what is Bitcoin mining, what is hash rate. That's our lowest tier product. And then in our Managed Mining Program, that's $100,000 up to $20 million, you know, as much as capital as people are looking to deploy. And that's where we manage that hash rate for them. We, we provide our services at cost um, and we take a fee for you know, the performance of how we manage that hash rate. Right now, a production cost of a Bitcoin with the latest, greatest machines is right around $5,800 um, at some of our mining facilities with very, very competitive power rates. Most people are generating probably a Bitcoin right now for right around $8,000 a coin which gives you that floor that you were talking about earlier. See, folks, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, so <laughs> with the having it gets twice as hard. So, you know, before right. that, it was $2,500. Then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up, it's a Wednesday, and you, your, your business is making half the amount of money that it was on Tuesday. And so for most people, that's, you know, it's, it's hard to understand how much it affects miners, the having, And that's why we see this price start to trend up after these events and we have been seen historically. 
So for those that are listening and they want to reach out to you and they're interested, where can they go? So the best place would be to go to ormcapitalventures.com and you can email me at jp at ormcapitalventures.com or also on Twitter. I'm at JP Barrick on Twitter and I tweet and talk about Bitcoin mining. Amazing. This was JP Barrick, founder and CEO at Orem Capital Ventures. A very good conversation about the ins and outs and the infrastructure of Bitcoin and mining. Appreciate having you on. Hopefully we can talk to you at the end of the year or beginning of uh, 2021 when we're hopefully maybe not in quarantine anymore. And uh, seeing how mining is uh, progressing and all that good stuff. Thank you, JP, for coming on. Thanks again, Dave, for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.